Good morning to everyone once again, and uh, I pray that you've had a good morning so far. It's a pleasure to see you, and it's a privilege to be standing in front of you, um, and it's a good day to be with the church, whether in spirit, whether in presence, in physicalness, whatever it be, and it's a wonderful time to preach. Well, it's a wonderful time to preach anytime. That's what I do, but it's a wonderful time to preach on joy. Not just because, and I alluded to this earlier, not just because of the season. Not just because uh, Christmas is in a couple days when we celebrate the birth of Christ, which, spoiler alert, is the foundation, absolute foundation for any joy there is in the world. But also, in this time of COVID, in this time of 2020, it's been overcast outside. I actually passed through a flood of across my road this morning. Anyone else? How are you guys doing up? <laughs> it was interesting because I stepped outside and it was raining, it was floody, and I was kind of got downcast. And then I remembered, and this is not just saying this because, hey, a preacher illustration. I remembered I was preaching on joy, and all of a sudden the day didn't matter so much. And that's what joy does. In fact, joy can be so powerful that it can actually take others aback. There is a true story of uh, a man actually in Georgia who was in a uh, cancer ward and had terminal cancer and he had such this is a true story he had an absolute disposition about him that the nurse wrote on his chart this man is inappropriately joyful meaning in the face of death meaning in the face of judgments or, or doom or whatever the end some might say this nerves obviously felt it uh so impressed upon her that this man's reaction to his circumstances was so inappropriate she actually charted it thinking maybe uh this is a symptom of something else he was a christian and he knew the reason he had joy what makes that's probably one of the ultimate circumstances of what some may call inappropriate joy. I am this man. I am dying. I'm facing death in the, in the face. And yet I am joyful. What brings that kind of joy? Perhaps you're reminded of the old couplet <laughs> of... Uh, sorry, I was just uh, thinking of this of the old couple of two prisoners, both behind bars, one sees mud, the other stars. What kind of brings, what brings that kind of attitude? One sees mud, one sees stars, even though they're both behind prison. What, what brings that kind of attitude, even in a, in a theoretical poem like that? There's another old story, uh, one that, that I really love of, of a man, and I'm not sure if this is fictional, it's probably apocryphal. Who, who cares is the truth of the matter? That there is two people, and, and one is by the window, and the other in a hospital room, and one is, is by the door, and, uh, and the one by the door can't see anything, the curtains close most of the time, and he's depressed, he has this big injury, and from across the way, there's an older man who takes upon it himself every day to describe what he sees, and one day he describes a, a wonderful meadow outside with a, with a bunny rabbing through, uh, rolling through it and, and clouds going by. Well, today's it's a little bit windy, and the, and the big tree outside is rustling by, but it's a beautiful day. Oh, look, the leaves are changing in September and one day 
the first man wakes up and, and realizes that the other man had passed and he requests the other bed. And he moves to the other side of the window, of the, of the room by the window, and he opens the shade and realizes there's a wonderful view of a wall and a building. What brings that type of joy into people's lives? That people take notice that there, are, that there are fairy tales as well as these stories which make us go, oh, that's nice, but it happens. What brings that type of joy? Well, to put it bluntly, if you subscribe to many lines of thought, meaning scientism or naturist or secular, for lack of a better term, there is actually no reason to have joy. After all, we'll deal with this a little bit later, but after all, scientists tell us that your emotions, not just your emotions, but your thoughts, your personality, everything that makes you you is simply the result of a random collection of neurons firing at each other in a certain way. It's inconsequential, and eventually when that stops, it stops, you go away, it doesn't matter to anything. Merry Christmas. What brings joy? I want to talk about three things this morning. I mentioned them actually already, I'll go ahead and put them up here. I want to talk specifically about the concept of joy. First of all, what it isn't. Second of all, what it is. And third of all, why it is. What it isn't, what it is, and why it is. I don't know what you think of whenever you think of the word joy. Um, actually, we just watched this. We have our collection of Christmas movies that we watch as a family all through December. Um, any favorite Christmas movies out here? Go ahead, yell them out. Oh. Elf! Muppet Christmas. <laughs> I haven't seen that for years. I want to watch it. Muppet Christmas Carol. Anyone else? Die Hard. Die hard. All right. We're not going to get in that debate today, all right? I'm with you, whoever said that. We actually just watched Elf, and so maybe the first thing I thought of actually this morning, thinking of joy, is uh, when Buddy, if you've seen Elf, is at the apartment store, and the manager, who's already freaked out by Buddy, says, Santa's coming, and Buddy goes, Santa! Joy. You didn't expect any of that, did you? Maybe we think of that. Maybe we think of the dire circumstances. Maybe we think of Jesus. Whatever we think of, it's important to realize what joy isn't. And I think this is actually just as important as looking at what joy is. And I'm not necessarily going to go into the Greek today. I'm not going to bore you with charis or anything like that. But I want to just give you a quick overview and lead us somewhere, um, which I hope will be encouraging today. What joy isn't. And this might be a point that you might be familiar with. Joy is not happiness. They're very distinct and very different. Now, I do think, this is the guy's opinion, okay? I do think it's overstating the fact to say that God doesn't care about your happiness. I know as a father that I do care about my children's happiness. It's just that it's not my primary concern. I would much rather have them go through things if it will teach them, if it will mold them, discipline them, that hopefully will lead to another kind of happiness rather than give them everything that they want, that they think they need, that they think they want, and be happy. I think it's overstating to say that God doesn't care about your happiness, but it is worth saying that the Bible 
never once mentions explicitly that you will be happy. It never says anyone will be happy in God. It mentions over and over again, you will be joyful in God. Be joyful in Christ. It never says happy. There are some translations that render blessed in um, the Beatitudes as happy are they. <laughs> blessed has a very particular connotation that does not mean happiness. Well, first of all, let's say, what is uh, emotions? What, how does emotions fit into this? While joy is in happiness, we have to realize that emotions are actually talked about quite a bit. And it's okay to feel happiness or not. For example, Romans 5.3, Paul writes not only that, but we rejoice in our what? In our sufferings. James 1.2, very familiar verse, says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12.10, this is probably one of the weirdest ones that I, that I have come across. This actually got me through basic. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. And he also says in 1 Peter 1.6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while you have been grieved by various trials. Here's the thing about emotions, which happiness is an emotion, and joy and the Christian walk. We will have emotions, and emotions are okay. What will you experience if you're going through sufferings and weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, trials, various trials. What will you experience? You'll probably feel sad. Inside out, anybody? Look it up. When things are going good, you will feel happy. When things are in between, you have emotions. Emotions are a reflection of who God has made you to be. So that's the second point. While joy isn't happiness, what joy also isn't, and this is really... I don't want to overstate this because this isn't the main point, but this is important. What joy also is not is hiding or falsifying how you feel. Not only is this absolutely 100% unbiblical, but it's also unhealthy emotionally, mentally, spiritually. I would dare say even physically. However you feel when you go through life, How you're meant to feel. Too often, and I have, I'm not just speaking anecdotally, I have heard it both to me and watch other people say, you can't be sad. You have the joy of Christ in you. You, you just stop being sad. You stop trying being sad if you're sad. Stop being happy if you're happy. Just stop it. It doesn't work that way. In fact, Paul explicitly says right here in 2 Corinthians 6, 4-10, through 10, Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, in hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, and truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, classic Paul. Dying, yet we live on. Beaten, yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. He's describing what it means to be servants in God. Look what he says, particularly right here. He says, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. This tells us something very important. While happiness is an emotion, and an emotions are not necessarily joy, I want to be very clear that denying or falsifying or lying about how you feel when you go through something is unbiblical and unhealthy. In fact, 
I personally, once again, another guy's opinion. We need to be a bit more honest. How are you today? I've unloaded on some people saying, you know what, I've had a crummy day, this and this and this happened, I don't know what you do about it. And sometimes what I get, I'm sorry. Emotions are part of who we are as humans. Emotions are who God is to be. We can't be scared and we can't lie to ourselves or each other. We will go through happiness and sorrow. First point, joy is not happiness, but nor is it hiding how you feel. In fact, oftentimes whenever we're going through crisis or trouble, sometimes it's actually very helpful to say, you know what, I feel absolutely crummy today, and describe how that feels. Paul, I'm sure, go through the list in 2 Corinthians 11. Do you think he felt something when he was being stoned, when he was hiding from people persecuting him, when he was climbing over the walls trying to escape people? The thing is, I wasn't going to go here, but I'm going to go here. In Philippians, we looked at it last week. In Philippians chapter 4, I want you to notice something. And if you're the kind of person that highlights in your Bible, I would highlight or underline this. He says in Philippians chapter 4, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, put into practice, and the God of grace will be with you. And he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. This, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I want you to highlight, if you're the type of pe- person who puts that in there, highlight learned. God, uh, Paul is not just saying he's able to have joy, he's able to, to persevere, he's able to be content just because he's, he's that kind of guy. You should too. No, he's not saying that he was born with just an affinity for for enduring. Paul says he had to learn what contentment was. He had to learn how to be content. That means you and we can too. It's not separate and apart from how we feel. So, with that in mind, what joy isn't, what is joy? As a matter of fact, I put this in here too. Jesus in Isaiah was called a man of sorrows. Jesus, John chapter 13, 14, at the tomb of Lazarus, he wept at the tomb. Not because he couldn't help anything, but because he felt. So, what joy is? If it's not simply an emotion, what is it? Well, happiness and emotions are determined by our external circumstances and how they affect us, how we respond to it, how they make us feel. Joy, on the other hand, is one's attitude regardless of external circumstances. Now, this may seem really easy and trite and, and well, sure, but give me something I can use. We'll get there. Joy, one's attitude regardless of external circumstances. This actually means a couple things before we get here. One, it means that it's an attitude that we have chosen before whatever circumstances have occurred. When did Jesus choose not to sin when he was in the, in the wilderness being tempted by the devil? Not right then. How many of you have tried to wait until the moment to decide whether you're going to do something or not and made the wrong choice? Me too, brother. <laughs> you decide beforehand. And two, that means that it is not based on external circumstances... 
And if it's not based on only how we feel, that means joy has its root in something bigger and greater and something that is able to overcome and surpass whatever is going on around you. That means that yes, it is possible to choose joy whenever a loved one is lost. It means it's possible to choose joy. In fact, Paul says this over and over. Choose joy whenever you're being persecuted. The apostles in Acts 13, they rejoiced even though they were put in prison. That means, yes, you were able to choose joy even as Jesus did when he was on the cross. Even in the midst of his pain and sorrow, crying out to God, recollecting Psalm 22, which begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet he was joyful. Why? Because it's a chosen attitude because of hope. Now this is where we get into how I started. What is your hope? For many people, they don't know what that is. Because the logic of a lot of worldviews is that, well, there's nothing. Or the logic is there's simply a set of teachings that I must follow, and if I'm good enough, who knows if I'm good enough, then maybe that's kind of that's more distressing than not. Joy is entirely dependent on the hope that you have, which brings us to why joy is. The reason that I'm preaching the sermon today, and I'll just put it up here, it's very obvious. Why joy is, is because of what happened 2,000 years ago when God has been looking at a concrete wall that we have put up blocking ourselves from God, this is sin, and chose to punch through it, not only to bring us up, but so he could become like us that we may be like him. Christmas, while it may not be the calendar time that Jesus was born, remembrance and what this day signifies is the perfect time for joy because it is the ultimate example, not only for Christians, but the ultimate example in the history and in fact of why there can be joy, why there is hope, why we can have peace, why there is something worth believing in beyond what we feel and what happens in this world. Why joy is. I'm going to leave you with three thoughts. And this is maybe a very odd spot to go for a Christmas sermon, but yet it's appropriate. This is 1 John. Chapter 1, the first four verses. I'm going to read them. Read along with me, if you would. 1 John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. 
John is writing this along with the Gospel of John. In essence, say that Jesus was not only who he said he was, the Son of God, but yes, that Jesus was really here. He really was born. He really lived. He was here. We touched him and, and smelled him and hugged him and heard him. Why does this matter and why is Christmas the ultimate example of this? Well, what do you notice about this text? What does John repeat? What is John emphatic about? A couple things. One, he's emphatic about the fact, and this is all through his writings, not just here, admittedly, that the Jesus, that the fact that Jesus came physically on earth, the incarnate God, is the ultimate example of grace. It's the ultimate example of grace because God didn't just give you a teaching to latch on to and maybe you'll do well enough. God didn't just give you uh, a goal to strive towards. God didn't just give you uh, a foundation or a teaching or someone on earth. He gave you himself in the form of human. Philippians, once again, before chapter 4 says, Jesus emptied himself, didn't empty himself of who he was, of his God, but emptied of anything that gave him an advantage over humans. So he could come and show us what it means to live a life that was godly, to show us that we could live that life, to show us what eternal life in God was, and show us, not just tell us or teach us, but show us and live with us what it meant to be secure in the grace of God. Jesus didn't come and say, my teaching is the way to life. Jesus didn't come and say, I, I am the way to life. I am the way to God. What did Jesus say? He just, I am the way, the truth. And Jesus said he himself was the life. You see what a difference that makes? The difference of believing just in, in a supreme teaching or a distant, ethereal, maybe real God who maybe comes in this world or not versus a God who cares about us so much, who cares about his creation, who is so interested in redemption that he gives himself to live the life that we ought to live, to die to death, that we ought to die, that we have the life that we were meant to. Jesus coming in the flesh on Christmas Day, the day that we celebrate it, makes all the difference of showing us that Christianity, that life in Christ is the ultimate expression of grace. Nothing else shows the kind of grace that God emptying himself to be like his creation so they can be like him shows. John talks about the fact that because of this, we have fellowship. Now this may be a maybe kind of a church word. You may be aware that we think we know what it means, but but what does it really mean that we have fellowship with the Father and we, the Father is, John talks about it in First John, uh, in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus and the God of the Bible is the only deity, the only, only creation mythos out there. You see, m many gods create humans to be able to have fellowship or have someone to care about to have someone to take care of, to have someone to, to reign over. 
The God of the Bible and Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the only gods that I'm aware of who are actually in fellowship with one another, who had fellowship, who had community before the creation began. And what are we if not reflectant, reflective of that creation, of that community? God didn't just come to say, do this and be a good person. God didn't just come to say, do this and maybe you'll get a reward. He came so that way we could be close to him, intimate with him. And he did that by becoming close and intimate with his creation. Fellowship is not just an ethereal word which says, oh yeah, God loves you. Fellowship is something that God takes seriously enough to empty himself, to come to earth, to die, so that we can be close to him. All beginning with a baby. <laughs> All beginning with a baby. Thirdly, John talks of love. Well, of love, eh, apparently. Why is love important? Just like fellowship, the love of God, says First John, says John, says Genesis, the love of God pre-existed the world, exists over and through the world, and actually is in the process, actually is integral to redeeming the world. How do you know someone loves you? By what they do. By who they show themselves to be. By what they do for you. God came in the form of a baby that would one day be nailed to a tree that he himself created so that his creation may come back to him. That love is not just something created. That love is not just something that, that God feels or we feel or we're supposed to feel. It's not just something which, which happens. It's something which has been before anything that we know was, don't you see? God pre-existed all of creation, is in the midst of all creation, is imbued and, and revealed in creation, and is the thing that is redeeming creation to what it will be one day. And it's seen so clearly in who Jesus is. All this. You see, go back to what I said at first. The people, and there are scientists and such who say that you're feelings and emotions are nothing but your neurons firing and your brain saying and, and all that, if that's all there is, can you really have joy? I would go so far as to say, in this room at least, and I'd say it to someone else, I can only know of true joy in that last week, which is immutable, that which is above and beyond, not controlled or not affected by anything that happens in here or out here, and something that is only worth believing in, which transcends anything that can happen to me or anything I can do, the love of God. All this is why joy matters. All this is why joy matters can be the fact that God 
not only is bigger, has overcome, is beyond anything in this world, but the fact that he stepped into the mess in order to redeem and make us pure. That doesn't mean that we won't... It doesn't mean that life won't stink sometimes, let's be honest. It doesn't mean that we won't have valleys. It doesn't mean that we won't have mountains. It doesn't mean... It's really not going to be fun. But it means that within all of us, because of the Holy Spirit, because of God, because of what Jesus has done, joy is possible. That sentence, that statement alone is foreign to so many people, and yet it is here lavished upon us by the grace of God, says Ephesians 1. The questions I have for you today may seem trite, may seem obvious, but yet they're important to consider. One, what is the source of your joy? Not the not because you're here, but really. What should it be? Number two. Do you choose it? Or do you react to it? Joy is something that we can choose, not just by putting on King Jesus in baptism, but we can choose now. Before anything, before the worst thing that could happen to you happens, you can choose joy because the joy of Christ never changes. The joy of Christ has already happened. The joy of Christ is already coming. Are you willing to choose joy now? And number three, number three, what does the world see? when they see her church, the church, God's church, in the midst of COVID, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of the rain, in the midst of what have you, do they see a church which is, I was going to say reveling, but in all honesty, sometimes we are crawling <laughs> to the edge of the cross in order to find joy sometimes. Do they see where our joy is placed? Do they see where our joy, not how we, do they see that we can say how we feel, but do we see we also have joy? Brothers and sisters, in the end, while I went a few places, this is a simple message. This week, I invite you to pray every day. I invite you to read the Gospels every day. I invite you to seek, to restore, to put in place whatever you need to do the only true source of joy that this world could never offer. And yes, I'm talking to Christians. If you are not, what better time than around the very season that celebrates the most amazing miracle in history and God coming in the flesh to find you than for you to find him? What better time? But I'm talking to Christians. I invite you this week. Choose, restore, bask in, crawl to the only source of joy that can sustain anyone. 
fact that Jesus Christ came in the flesh to bring you love, fellowship, peace, hope, and joy.